Hello, welcome to Come Back When the Leaves Are Green. This is the podcast which accompanies Orthopaedic Research UK's brand new one-day intensive course for the paediatric part of the FRCS Orth exam. I'm Gavin Spence, joining you from Dubai, and by the miracles of technology, we're joined by my friend and colleague, Michalis Kokonakis. Uh, Michalis, how are you doing? Oh, hello there from London. Hi, Gavin. How is the weather in Dubai? Yeah, nice. Yeah, warmer, warmer than you guys are having at the moment, I think. So, look, we... Um, we thought what we wanted to do was get the candidate's view of, of taking the exam. Now, you and I both passed the exam, but to be frank, it wasn't that recent. So wouldn't it be good if we had a special guest who could bring us up to date with uh, tackling the exam, you know, today rather than when you and I took it? 100%. So we uh, were very uh, excited to have Karen Shefford with us. Karen uh, used to be our fellow at the Evelina London Children's Hospital and uh, she's about to uh, uh, start as a consultant pediatric orthopedic surgeon. She's done the, the exam quite recently. Hi, Karen. Hello there. Um, yeah, very nice to be joining you today. And thanks very much for inviting me along. So thank you very much for accepting our invitation. We just want to uh, find out uh, uh, about your experience. Obviously, you successfully passed the exam and a few tips that you could give to uh, our um, course delegates. So I think that um, as you come up to the exam, everyone asks lots of people what's, you know, how, how to tackle the exam, what's, what are the best things to do. And, um, and actually everyone will have a, a, a slightly different approach. So the, the main thing is to, to know how, you, how best you work yourself and actually go with what you know, go with go with how you know you work and how you best prepare for exams, because this will not be the first exam you've taken in your life. Um, you can't possibly have got to the stage where you are now without taking a, a few other exams. But um, but that being said, um, the other kind of half of that is that you really need to feel like you are prepared when you step into the exam room. Um, yes, for part one, but particularly for part two. And if part of that is talking to a lot of people and actually getting the same response and the same answers back, then that's actually very reassuring. And that's certainly what I did, which is, you know, get a, get a lot of advice, speak to a lot of people. And actually you realise once you've spoken to a few people, most people are saying the same things and you're probably not going to, you know, you're not going down the wrong path anywhere. So um, one of the things that a lot of people tend to ask or tend to think about going towards the exam is, is this whole issue of, you know, do, do I do my own prep? Do I work with other people? Do I book myself onto a load of courses? Um, and so I go back to my kind of original point of knowing what you do best. But certainly I did, I did a mixture of all three. I did some, you know, did the question work on my own. I did a lot of viva practice with my colleagues and friends and, and other consultant colleagues. Um, and I did book onto a, a couple of courses as well. So I did a, a, a mix and match style. But I think, you know, every, everyone is a little bit different. And you can certainly gain a lot from either purely talking to, you know, your peers and consultant colleagues. Or indeed, if you if you want to sort of throw the book at it, you can book onto, you know, every course coming. But that that in its own right won't necessarily get you through the exam. Um, so that, that, those were kind of my initial thoughts as I was looking back as, as to what I did. Going, going forward from that, I kind of I've picked up a few, a few kind of 
points that that I thought would be generally helpful. So um, if you want, we can we can go through those ones and you can agree or disagree as as we tackle them one by one. So um, my main kind of number one tip, I suppose, is talk to your paediatric surgical colleagues, because I was in a fortunate position whereby in my kind of final year and taking the exam, I was in a tertiary paediatric orthopaedic centre. So I had a wealth of experience and knowledge kind of at my fingertips. But having said that, I had done the majority of my study prior to that, where I was in kind of more of a DGH um, setting. And whilst they did have a fair amount of general peds there, um, there was there was probably not that same specialist knowledge. So um, so one of the things that I did is uh, with my with my kind of small cohort cohort of us that were taking the exam, we sort of sought out help from a couple of the different consultant paediatric surgeons at the time and actually got together and was like, look, can can we convince you to do some tutorials, some little sessions on core topics of peds that we know are going to come up in the exam? And actually, if you do ask, you will, I'm sure you'll probably find that a lot of the paediatric consultants will actually be very happy to help. Um, I think in terms of a consultant body, the uh, the paediatric orthopaedic surgeons are some of the most approachable as well as, dare I say it, knowledgeable um, uh, and forthcoming kind of people to work with. So if you but if you don't ask, you won't get. Karen, can I just ask what you, you said about the um, the topics that you thought were going to come up or that you knew were going to come up? So how did you know what those were? Did you make a guess at it or did you ask previous candidates? So, so yeah, so asking asking the consultants and uh, and um, having a, having a chat with your peers. But I think there are there are core themes that that do kind of crop up year on year, and um, and some of that is reflected in the book work. So I think everyone who's preparing for the exam has heard of Miller, um, and Miller covers some of the main main topics. It's certainly not an in depth textbook for paediatrics, but I think if you pull out the topics covered in, in Miller, then actually that's a good basis to centre your revision around. So I, I have to say, I mean, as, as, as Gavin, I'm sure you do the same. I receive a lot of uh, emails and texts to, um, to, to provide mock live exams. And, and my approach to this, I always ask what the group or that person wants to have. I usually tell them, to pick up something that they don't know very well, where there's a lot of uh, confusion. And um, thanks God, we've got plenty of those in pediatric orthopedics. So then they can go back and read about this. And and, and, and for me, it's not just about the, the mock viva, which is very important, of course, uh, to be under pressure, uh, but also to give some references where they can go and read, because um, it's very difficult to choose your references, isn't it, Karen? Um, you, you mentioned Miller. Any other suggestions, any other textbooks you read, any other websites that you particularly favoured? So, so I, I was pretty lucky in terms of um, getting some literature references from the consultants that gave those little 
those little tutorials and um, and so actually you, you can find that a lot of the evidence base and evidence base sorry and that and that extra bit of exam level knowledge does come through reading the relevant literature but you know, certainly a, a lot of articles through the JBGS, JBS American um, Journal of, of Pediatric Orthopedics covers covers your bases, but they 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 have so much information that I certainly wouldn't um, say just go trying to kind of read through whole journals. But where I found those references particularly useful, it was more on the trauma side. So if you're looking at the trauma side of, of management and decision making, then it's it's useful to know those. And, and a lot of those actually have then been used to support things like the, the up-to-date BOSE guidelines. So the, the, the paediatric related sort of BOSE guidelines are absolutely fair game to, to go for in the exam. In it, much like all, all the adult guidelines, you, you will be expected to be familiar with them. And if you if you know the literature that supports those guidelines, then even better. I think this is very important what you just mentioned. You need to have kind of a, a guided uh, way what to read and uh, what is the message. For example, when it comes to papers, uh, very important to mention national guidelines if you are um, asked about a specific topic, especially if you read about this. And to be honest, there are not many, especially in pediatric orthopedics. You just have to go to the website. And it, especially if the consultant guides you through them, then it should be um, kind of much easier. Yeah, I was just I was just going to chip in and say um, we should probably mention this. This podcast is attached to a course that Orthopaedic Research UK are running. And um, if you're on that course, after the course finishes, uh, we'll be posting guidelines and, and key references. So that that may help people if, if they're struggling to, to find those things. Um, that's that's an easy way to get around it. Sorry. Anyway, you were saying. Uh, carry on. Um, what I wanted to ask, Karen, is um, so you were the, one of those fortunate ones. You were doing pediatric orthopedic rotation while you did the exam, so you had it very fresh. Some of your colleagues might not have it that fresh, might have done it when they started their registrar rotation, and some of them may have been unlucky not to have done any or have been very little exposed to pediatric orthopedics. So what, what would you advise them? Yeah, great, great question and leads very nicely onto my sort of second top tip, which is, if at all possible, go to some clinics. So um, even if you have done paediatrics recently, if you can get yourself into a couple of specialist clinics, even if it's in your your central hub hospital where you're not at at the moment, you know, do, don't be afraid of asking to, to go and attend because Get, sitting in for half a day on a on a baby DDH clinic or on a neurodisability clinic or even a general peds clinic is um, you're just going to get so much from that that you can't really get from the textbooks and what I mean really by that is that you can get the fact finding from your reading and that will get you through the the first part but answering the questions and coming across and being able to show that you've got that knowledge in a in a confident and competent way you, you need to have practiced that conversation and um, okay you, you probably won't be you won't be leading any of those consultations if you're if you're going to go and, and sit in a clinic but what you will hear is 
you know you will hear those conversations yourself and you will you will know what questions the family comes back with so actually when you when you do get a question in the viva of you know this 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 is a, a patient that comes to you that the parents say i've been told my child has a club foot what does that mean um then actually you've you've got something to reply to that question because you've you've heard it you've seen it and um when you've been in that clinic you can then think about how would i actually reply to that question um and consultant pediatric clinics are great but also don't forget that you have um, a lot of experience within um specialist physiotherapists and nurse specialists who quite often run a, a lot of the um, specialist foot clinics um for your CTBE, um, the the DDH, and so on, and actually they are they are very good at having those sometimes really quite difficult conversations with the families. So um, being able to come across in the exam that you you at least know um, know that kind of setup of how the clinic works, how those conversations go, and what the important and key bits of information are to get across then um yeah that's that's just as important as being able to look at look at an ultrasound of a hip or a, or an x-ray and say these are the lines this is what it means this is you know this is how i treat it um i i i fully agree with this um and you know what people if they have not done pediatric orthopedics or even if they have done pediatric orthopedics in their rotation they're still kind of scared of pediatric orthopedics, the same is valid for kind of hand surgery or spinal surgery, because there's a lot of controversy uh, there. So you just, if you go to clinics, if you're involved into real patients, um, if you're involved into those discussions with the consultant, the nurses, the physiotherapists, then you familiarize yourself with this, you become more confident talking about those subjects. So I think this is very important. You don't have to have many. And sometimes you might have to be lucky to get that topic that you discussed. But in general, you become more confident when you go to, uh, to, to the exams to do the pediatric orthopedic section. Gavin, would you agree to that? Yeah, definitely. But I, I'm, a question for you, Karen. I, I guess if you're going to be going to clinics, you have to get yourself organized fairly early. Is that what you did? And, and can you give us an idea of time scale? I mean, when did you start thinking about seriously settling down to revision for the exam? Um, well, the time frame for me meant that my exams were sort of spread out over a year, actually. So I ended up doing the first part in November one year and the second part in no, almost almost exactly a year afterwards. So I, I did have a fair amount of time to organise myself. But one of the things that I I did do, even in even my part one kind of revision, even though a lot of that was questions and, and, and reading, was just trying to get into the mindset of, yeah, if, if you if you read a topic um, within PEDS and you, you go through the information and then just trying to think, ah, how would I answer that question? How would I have that conversation? So you're not just you're not just learning the facts, you you're starting to think about how you actually relay that knowledge and that information back. Um, but yes, I think you do. You do need to be a little bit prepared and forward thinking because actually, the the extra bits of tutorials and 
and kind of evening evening work and prep work and weekend work was was kind of in place yes uh, as soon as we'd we'd finished part one so actually that was a that was a good kind of six to nine months worth of of just gradually getting getting through the practice and getting through the work which which also means that you can you know you don't have to rush through that you can organize things you know once once a week or once every other week on top of because you still have to you still have to work and you've got other other things to do during that time um if you, if you do start thinking about things early then you can actually get a couple of get a couple of clinic sessions in early but then see if you can go back pretty near to the exam so um get get a bit of initial exposure at least have some time to think about it and practice with your with your colleagues but then see if you can if you can go back just in those last couple of weeks or so before the exam so it's all sort of fresh in your mind i, th I think karen said it's all to start with everyone has his own kind of methods so some people prefer to start very early on and do a bit of bit bit uh, bit by day like you know one or two hours I'm exactly the opposite. I'd like to be very intensive and just having three months before. So everyone has it his own way. Um, one of the things that I'd like to ask, I quite like the fact that you revised, especially for the Vibers with others. I, I, I think nowadays with um, a platform such as Teams and uh, Zoom, things are much easier. So you don't have to actually be in the same room together. But one of the things that... Um, I practice when I did my exams and certainly we bring this in the Orthopedic Research UK course would be Vivas, not just active um, participating, but also uh, giving feedback to colleagues, because I think you learn quite a lot from this. Is this something that you practice Karen, on those um, revising groups and how, um, how rewarding was that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, probably kind of more towards the beginning um whilst you're still sort of learning how to put together and structure your answers we um are probably used to use the advice and the help of of the consultant colleagues a bit more but then as you get a bit more into it i had we had a core group of of two or three people that we got together and would just directly viber each other um because actually you you start to kind of have your own way of answering questions and then other people have a slightly different way and actually sometimes you find oh actually I quite like the way they put that <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that um, and, and, and vice versa so um, one of the things that um, I remember coming up with my um, very good friend who we went through the exams together was was this idea of um, especially with the peds because Yes, there are a few key topics, you know, your DDH, your, your perthes and things that you, you kind of think you, you need to know these topics well. But then actually, it's such a broad, a broad range of potential questions and different pathologies out there, which is which is what makes PEDS so interesting, exciting to do as a career. But um, but it means it can be very daunting from from an exam perspective but actually um, if you've done your base reading and your knowledge and you've been to a couple of general peds clinics you, you know what comes up and so then when you're looking at things that are not in any of that reference um, then you know have your have your starter kind of sentence of when you're presented with something that you think oh goodness you say ah oh, well this is a rare condition <laughs> and um, and it just gets you 
it just gets gets it gives you something to say and and then you and then you can get going with it and then you rely back on your basic principles and how you how you're going to answer uh, your, your questions but um, but yeah I think just practicing those little intro bits and and getting yourself confident with how you're yeah, even going to start to answer questions and also how you're going to wrap it up so not doing what I'm doing which is slightly rambling now but you know answer answer the question get to the point and and, and wrap it up and finish um, makes makes you come across again as a, as a much more kind of competent junior consultant yeah mm. That takes practice, though, doesn't it? Vibring it, practice. It does. It does, and it's and it's completely different to kind of to knowing the facts and being able to fly through the the part ones, because then all of a sudden you're under a bit of stress and you think, oh, I know this, and, and you and you try and start relaying the the info and the knowledge, and actually it's uh, it doesn't come out as you would expect. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's core knowledge is one thing, but presenting that knowledge in a coherent way is is another skill entirely and yeah some people find it easy some people need a bit more practice any other sort of key top tips karen i think we we'd heard two yeah so the, so the, those are kind of kind of the main ones i think the the third one that i just got down is if we're all very used to sitting through a trauma meeting and looking at a lot of adult x-rays but if you're not as familiar with just looking at a lot of pediatric immature skeleton x-rays it might sound a bit basic but um if you if you just go through you know spend a bit of time looking up even if it's your own hospital system there will be tons of x-rays that get done every week for pediatric patients coming through A&E and things just just to, to familiarize yourself with what is you know what is a normal pediatric hip x-ray foot x-ray knee x-ray elbow x-ray so that it's it becomes almost second nature you can you can look at things and you can you know if, if something is normal because the last thing you want to be thrown with in the exam is they give you a normal x-ray and um <laughs> and then you start you start looking for trouble and you don't quite have the confidence to say this is actually a normal x-ray and they're like yes good <laughs> move and you move on um so so yeah and actually again um linking in with the first point which is talking to your consultant uh, colleagues quite often they will they will have quite a nice bank of some nice x-rays which do demonstrate pathology well so if you're you know if you're struggling to find i mean nowadays beauty of google you, you can google pretty much anything and it will come up with an x-ray but do be a little bit careful with that they're not always you know 100 percent what they say on the tin but um but yes you're certainly you, know, you, you can trust your consultant colleagues to have you know if they've got a good bank of x-rays that they don't mind going through with you or, or sharing with you then um then yeah just familiarizing yourself with that process is is probably my last last tip for today sure do you remember what cases you got in the vibe? I, I I do I do, and actually, um, saying that you know there's there's kind of core topics, um, you know, like you know, make sure you know your trauma, make sure you know your supercondylar, your DDH, the peds, your slip capital epiphysis, and you know all, all these big all these big topics. Um, I, I I got none of those in my exam, <laughs> so. So you never, you never quite know. But I mean, none of that knowledge is, has gone to waste happily, or at least, at least for me, um, ending up with peds. But uh, but yeah. So I think that's that's um, going back to Michaelis's point of asking, oh, what are you, what are you unfamiliar with? What 
what kind of is still a bit daunting yes it is worth going through these these the slightly smaller topics and just uh, and, and just giving yourself a bit more confidence to be able to answer generally on on the on a, a neurodisability patient you know it doesn't even have to be that specific but how do you approach that patient and if you've you know and then and then your things like you you're onto your kind of MDT answer and your holistic approach and and then the other small diagnoses there there's a, a million to choose from but um you, you don't need to get overly bogged down with the detail but you just you just need to show that you've you you're kind of confident with dealing with a paediatric patient and the family set up and the and the MDT and everything that goes with it so um I'm very yeah, curious I mean, you have to tell us what you had <laughs> so um so well the the third point of looking at x-rays uh, comes because I, I i got a very classic um tarsal coalition um which you could actually see on the on the x-ray but um but i think again in terms of structuring your exam answer there are so many things that you can say when presented with that x-ray it's like oh well you know your history your examination key points like oh I, I would want to know what symptoms i want to know the age of the onset because you've you've already got your diagnosis in your head but you want to prove that you know all the lead up and all the things that you're going to ask in clinic what you're then going to find on the examination you go oh well actually you know what if if the subtalar movement isn't there then the, this is what i'm expecting i would get my standing x-rays and the, the, here they are and this is this is then what you show so rather than jumping in with Oh, this is an X-ray that shows a shows a coalition, um, and then you're on to all oh, right. What are you going to do for that surgically, and what are you going to you know? And then all the ins and outs of um, complex bits of surgical and post-op and approaches and things. Um, so just to to show your show your kind of knowledge in your working is um, is an important part for all all the stations in the Viva. Um, the, the other little ones I got were um, one was a a picture of a neurodisability patient uh, with someone doing a, a silver skulls test so that was about what what that means and and describing it and um what what you're looking for uh, and how to manage it and the the last one was a, a clinical picture showing a a knee dislocation so fortunately enough even in my peds ddh experience i'd seen um and managed a, a knee dislocation so that was lucky for me because it looked exactly like the one that I'd seen on the ward but I, I know from speaking to my my uh, other colleagues that had done the exam at the same time that they, they were potentially a bit thrown by that but you know it's uh, again it's that's kind of going back to just if you're being shown pictures and things just describe what you describe what you see and if it looks if it looks unusual then it probably is unusual as long as you know that the familiar stuff so there's nothing wrong saying oh this is a this is unusual this is a rare condition but what i would do is and just go 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 back and go to what you do for every patient which is take your collateral history take the take the birth history do your examination and and, and totaling some there um the main things you still need to cover but don't be afraid of getting the slightly more oblique cases Karen, just to say many, many thanks for joining us. Thanks for all of those top tips. Uh, I hope everybody listening in has, has found those useful, have, have got some, uh, some tips for how to go about their own revision.
So it just remains to say thank you to Karen, thank you to Michaelis, uh, thank you to you for listening. And uh, we look forward to uh, having your company again on another podcast in the series. Thanks very much. Goodbye.